0: Johnny today has managed to make me look quite scruffy... ...because I've got a hole in my shoe... ...and he's wearing a really nice pair of Nikes. He's got
1: some trainers on, yeah... ...and then then chav. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 7... ...of the 20 Years of c Twenty Seven podcast. a podcast still exploring and often repeating... ...the insignificant and hilarious stories... ...of Britain's most easterly rap and roll band c Twenty Seven. As always, I'm your host Richard Trigg... ...and in today's episode... I'm chatting with the musician, see-through collaborator, long-time friend and fan of the band, Henry Thomas, about his time in Cherry Wax, his take on the local music scene, and indeed, where C327 fitted into that for him. Remember, if you are still enjoying this pointless podcast, please drop us a rating, leave us a quick review, it really makes a difference. Right, enjoy the podcast, it's Henry Thomas. I'm here with Henry Thomas. How are you? Very
0: well, thanks. How are uh, you?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Tell me, where does your story with the local scene begin? What was inspiring you creatively? What were you listening to? What was happening in the area? Take us back to that time.
0: How far back? Let's go back to, to the go? start. Well, the start, you may not be surprised to learn, begins with Ben Rouse.
1: No, oh, of course, yeah
0: because I was in a band with Ben mm. called Black Death brilliant spelt B-L-A-K-D-E-T-H of course
1: so what year would that have been early 90s
0: yeah I'd say it would have been um, yeah very early 90s yeah doesn't really fit in with the story other than Ben Rouse's The Godfather yeah but I guess we were just at school weren't we and there yeah. were gigs happening in small hamlets yeah around Halesworth Rumbra Colton and we just looked up to anyone who was a bit older than us who was cool enough to know how to play an instrument and got on stage yeah where does Cherry Wax fit into the story mate yeah I think Cherry Wax were a very important band to us all and yeah I joined after they'd already started um, kind of as a filler playing some organ I, I had an actual organ an actual electric organ that my dad and I would lug yeah, I remember. to shows it was so heavy but um, I think it's because Duncan was such a great frontman, had such a great voice for someone yeah. that young yeah. to have that much kind of soul is very unique for, for how old we were and everyone in the band was really talented so I think there was the, there was a talent of everyone in the band I think there was the originality of the songs relatively speaking um, and I think you know, there's, there's not a lot happening for young people no. out this way, and so it was, you wouldn't miss it. No, I think that that era
1: felt really inspiring. I mean, it, it was a scene, really. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was happening in other places in the area too, which we later found out, of course, and they kind of them worlds started to merge it was kind of an
0: exciting time though wasn't it do you not think like yeah massively because before that what did we have a school disco yeah or the Wenderson disco yeah then gigs came along yeah in village halls and then things like the Greenpeace Fair gig in the park and then yeah things graduated to I guess stuff became or Old Broad became the sort of focal point yeah
1: what do you miss most about the glory days of of the local gigs and what do you think caused the shift around
0: here so what I miss most about the glory days is just hanging out it's just the excitement of seeing friends seeing friends performing being at the front of of the audience while you guys were playing at the brewery with people singing or rapping your lyrics back to you yeah that's a that's a wonderful feeling to be part of that because you feel like you're part of an event that's unique to that time and that's definitely missing today
1: yeah Why do you think that
0: is? I mean, I think it's probably the internet. Yeah. Social media. I think then, the unknown was the fact that you literally didn't know who was going to be there because unless you phoned up loads of people and did a a poll as to who was going to be there and then asked them to poll their friends, you didn't know who's going to be there. I mean, you'd expect the same kind of people, whereas today you can you don't even need to go somewhere and you can participate by commenting or posting or whatever things were think it was more precious it was less disposable yeah. whereas now you can kind of get stuff out of there reach people more easily which is wonderful in its own right but it does mean that suddenly a local scene becomes a bit fragmented maybe yeah or, or doesn't exist yeah I think also everyone was primarily focused on making rock music yeah at least in the scene that we Took part in, and that needs people playing instruments, sure. and that means that a live show is really exciting yeah. because you used to do a mad round the world. Later on, when you got a, um, a radio pack for your guitar, yeah, you did an absolutely bonkers round the world guitar fling that you 360ed it around your neck or something. And also, didn't your didn't the neck of your guitar catch you on fire once because you did? such a extreme... Ha, it, has been,
1: it has been rumoured. Guitar us, It has been rumoured, yeah.
0: So, I mean, that's a show that people these days are not going to see. <laughs> Whereas today, you know, you can programme some sick beats and press play on, yeah. a, on a laptop, but it's not the same. Of course it's not, no. You know what, like, you, you still tour a lot with bands. You know when you go into a venue, when you're loading in, yeah. and it's probably had a show the night before, yeah. and it's been cleaned, and there's that kind of smell... Of yeah. the lemon cleaner, yeah. and there's still a bit of stale sweat from the night before. Yeah, I'm
1: normally having a wash in the sink
0: around that point. Know <laughs> the smell well. Or even when you're in a venue and it's just beer and bodies. Yeah, and it's not pleasant necessarily, yeah. but it's still really unique to the to the experience, and it it's something that you I don't know you can enjoy even if yeah. it's not pleasant. Yeah, of course. That doesn't make sense. You don't enjoy it, but it's just no. I know you mean it's not the same sitting in front of a screen. Yeah, everything is done in front of a screen these days, and it's it's not the same experience of actually being there physically and physically moving, physically bumping into people. Yeah, going to gigs is what inspires you to want to perform at a gig yourself. Absolutely, especially yeah, those early village hall gigs. Going back to that, because no one was indifferent to the band then. No, everyone was just so excited yeah to see their classmates swoosh time podcast time see-through style
1: so far in um, in the previous episodes we've heard loads of talk about the annex where we were creating all these tunes back in 2001 like um, Beautiful Sky and Lyrical Force which would ultimately go on to become that first see-through demo right and it was essentially the catalyst for the live band it, it, itself. And a lot of people may not realise, but you actually feature heavily on about three of those original See Through songs. So take us back to your memories of that time, and well, it was essentially the conception of the band. What do you remember about those days?
0: First of all, I'm touched that I've been granted a place in the in the See Through Twenty Seven pantheon. Uh, I don't think we ever discussed me actually ever having contributed to any of those songs.
1: Well, we did some songs, but I don't think they're see through songs. They're on the first see through demo, so they kind of exist in that realm, yeah. Well, that's. What do you remember about doing that?
0: Johnny and I had been getting seriously into hip hop. Yeah. So we were already, you know, exploring hip hop and. You know, Johnny's also a poet so he's a great lyricist already, he was already a writer he was already a poet, it was fun right? we were pissing about yeah. and we were kind of pastiching American hip hop because there wasn't really any UK hip hop at the time, yeah. grime was only just starting to emerge um, so we were really serious about it Johnny particularly was very very dedicated but it was also a lot of fun just coming around to yours and getting a bit wasted and and putting some lyrics down yeah but parallel to that we'd also do we'd also have freestyle battles do you remember that yeah yeah go down to the car park in Southwold just north of the pier yeah open up the car boot put some beats on and then Johnny and I would freestyle battle each other that's
1: right down Lucky Number 7 yeah which is what um, Adam actually spoke about in his podcast about the uh, his experience down at Lucky Number 7 at the pier in Southwold but um, yeah you carry on
0: um, did Adam have a good time to Well, us?
1: he he wanted to fit in, so he um he's he had a he had a session, and then uh, and then um, sort of come across for a little bit.
0: It was, it was too powerful a session for him.
1: Yeah, too powerful session. Classic Adam. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully the the power of our lyrics also was too much for him.
1: <laughs> well, it, well, I mean, if you if you go cast your mind back to the um, seminal track M. C. Swed and Gazelle. On the 1st see see-through demo. I mean, that just shows the, the prowess.
0: It's a good one. It is a good one. And actually, Lyrical Force, yeah. as a song title and a lyric in the c through track, that's that's my original is it? lyric. Yeah. From from one of those tunes. Wow. Because, again, at the same time, I was also doing, you know, on Cubase, trying to make some beats. And yeah. Johnny and I were doing some recording. But, yeah, we... We took it very seriously and then obviously I let it slip a bit and Johnny's carried on and just continued to develop and hone his craft and, you know, he's a, he's a master now. And then you sort of harnessed all of this disparate activity and actually turned it into a project. Yeah. And that's when... Have you mentioned that you, you were known as the director back then? No. Well... You were known as director back then. Do you remember that? True, yeah. Because you were directing operations from the Annex. Yeah. And you've kind of continued doing that to this day.
1: Oh, thanks. I mean, I don't think I came up with that name myself. Um, I could have probably come up with a better one. (laughs) (laughs) But,
0: um, I mean... No, you're right. Well,
1: I mean, at the time, there was a lot of different... I mean, I, I think that collection of songs, which would become a lot of the live band, was all about this kind of it was almost like a a kickback at this power rock thing that flatty and paul and myself had done and trying to be a little bit edgy by having some kind of collective where there was a, a massive group of us um just all coming together and doing a load of songs really and trying to turn that into a project and that felt quite fresh and exciting that sort of anything went really um which is why you had that kind of songs that had sort of a dance or EDM type thing with a guitar on it and then something with that could could have fallen off the back of a I don't know some kind of new metal band who knows (laughs) but it was like it wasn't ever supposed to be a band so it was kind of exciting to have all these different people yourself and Jessica and there was loads of us on different songs at, at different times and Putting them onto a CD, um, which just then went to be called See Through 27. That was it. Throw
0: down your army, get yourself comfy, and listen to a little bit of See Through on podcast. Oh, yeah.
1: What was your favourite ever local gig? Now, this could be um, you playing at a local show or just a local gig that you went to which stands out.
0: Um, I mean, the thing that's strongest in my memory might be a bit of an amalgam, but it's got to be a brewery show. Right. You guys, and okay. probably Crawl Blind. Okay. Um, just again, because of the energy. Yeah. There'd be some some like hardcore fans not mentioning any names who'd be up the front, knowing every single lyric, and yeah. actually putting Johnny off. So he'd, have to, <laughs> he'd basically have to heckle them, rather than the other way around, <laughs> to try and make them calm down. Um, Uh, that was always really exciting yeah Um, I mean I think when I when I played Gig in the Park with Cherry Wax yeah that was amazing because it was that was some proper staging yeah
1: I remember it well I actually talking of Gig in the Park I came across some footage it's from 2004 but the reason it's 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 some see-through footage but the reason it's poignant is it's taken from quite far back, so you can see more of the crowd rather than the band, but it's just Dunks with a massive blow-up Spider-Man <laughs> off his rocker at about... I don't know what time we played, like, one in the afternoon, who knows, but, like, off his rocker going backwards and forwards with this Spider-Man just stumbling, and it was just quite a... It was quite a cool thing to see, actually, because you forget, like, how much of a character he was. Like
0: I remember him at Greenpeace... I think, again, it was when when Cherry Wax played, and I think we got paid a small amount and everyone decided to buy some hash with it rather than take the money, which is the the logical thing to do when you're that age. Anyway, again, we played during the day and by the end of the evening, Duncan had managed to get um, a a standing lamp and was back in the tent kind of dancing with this lamp. And then I think the lampshade got on his head at some point (laughs) Nuts
1: (laughs) What see-through song do you think you've had the strongest emotional connection to over the years?
0: That's a good question Um, Under Milk Wood because it's Johnny's most poetic and referential side coming out Yeah Um which you know something I always appreciate yeah um, and it's quite I mean it's quite lyrical anyway in terms of the the delivery and the you know the melody um, plus the Dylan Thomas original was fantastic so it's yeah. nice to kind of connect with that fire some more at me and see if I'm into them oh Good Life um no. How Many You Kiss no um no, no, these these aren't these aren't good songs <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Beautiful Sky can you uh, tell me your good ones um, No Beautiful Sky definitely because that was such, was that the first one it's the first ever see through song yeah. yeah and again lovely sentiment lovely melody
1: I mean it was written as a joke I mean, we've, we've spoken about this on the podcast but you know if you listen to the opening lyrics um,
0: it's J on, to the O to the NNY.
1: one yeah that one it's, <laughs> it really wasn't um, any much thought put in it but it's quite surprising how many people have said to us you know that's their their favourite song and poor Johnny spent the next 20 years perfecting lyrics, and people go back to those lyrics. Um,
0: yeah, lyrical force as well, actually, despite that it was stolen yeah. from me. Yeah. So I should definitely get a credit. Okay. I still think that you you know, you probably should just type some loose ends and give probably, me a credit for Probably, yeah. It. That, and that's, that's, a, that's just a massive tune. That's really, really... It's a great one live... Yeah. Obviously, because it's not been recorded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Has it not been recorded? Well, it's, so on the, well. it's
1: on the original demo. Um, and then we attempted to record it at the Seagull uh, a few years later. Um, but it was in them days when uh, people like Johnny and Paul would get very excited if we were doing a band thing, that it was almost like a day off work. So if we were doing a recording session, the night before you can guarantee there'd be Party Central. And that night before that session was no exception. Um, Paul and Johnny got proper on it. And the following morning, we couldn't get hold of Paul um, for hours. And then finally got through to Johnny. And he was like, it's okay, I'm with Paul. And then Paul threw up in his Morrison's breakfast. (laughs) And immediately after... Actually into
0: the breakfast. Into the
1: breakfast, yeah. Then came to the Seagull, where we then attempted to record Lyrical Force, which didn't pan out very well which is why no one's heard the recorded version of Lyrical Force but he did buy a crate of Tetley's and a razor and then if you throw your mind back to For a Lifetime which starts with I've got a crate and a razor today which is where that comes from if someone asked you what C327 sound like how would you define or describe us and what's the track you might tell them to check out
0: well um rap and roll is how you describe yourselves and I think that's pretty apt pretty pithy yeah um it's actually quite hard there aren't you know you don't sound loads like other bands mm. you know potentially you could say there's a bit of raising Against the machine in there mm-hmm. but you don't have the yeah, the heaviness the hardness Johnny's a totally different has a totally different vocal yeah um Yeah, I think it's. I think you've always been a bit more kind of considered, especially with the keyboard parts. Yeah, and the BBS. Yeah, I guess rap and roll. I'd say check out lyrical force. Of course you would. (laughs) (laughs) But if it's not, if that's not available to listen to,
1: this is once we've sorted out your uh, your PRS. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: I'm going to point once it's recorded and I have my credit. I'm going to just push everyone to that track. Okay. It's going to be streamed, played on radio.
1: I mean, it's interesting you said that though, because in the last episode, um, I was chatting with Adam uh, about back in the day when we'd have countless meetings with PR and agents, and they'd always say the same thing that really liked us, but they couldn't pigeonhole it and they wouldn't know what to do with us. And that always got our backs up slightly because that just seemed crazy. And now looking back from it 20 years later or 15 years later, that seems mental if you look at music now Mm. and how eclectic it is, far more confusing than see-through is or ever was. And I wonder if see-through first emerged now, do you think it would be a
0: different story? I think it would be different now. I think back then the the hip hop, rap, grime scene, yeah, in the UK was less developed, very London centric, and it was kind of pioneering its own sound, which was really exciting. But it was very different from yours. It yeah. was you know quite cold, clinical, quantized beats. There was quite a lot of edge to it, whereas you guys have always had a lot of. Yeah, soul, a lot of rock. Yeah. Um, whereas the kind of rap scene now is so much broader and there are so many different regional scenes, you know, you get rappers from Birmingham, from Manchester. Yeah, yeah. From all over the place. And people doing different things. Yeah. Someone like Laura Carner is basically doing what Johnny and I were doing 20 years ago of... Yeah. He's like an American rapper. He's a British rapper, but over an American aesthetic. Yeah. That's one of the positive aspects of streaming. Absolutely, yeah. It's a more... There's a bigger shop window. Yeah. Whereas it was, what, Radio 1 when we were yeah. younger. Yeah. And if you weren't getting on Radio 1, you probably weren't getting anywhere. So there's more... You can ac- you can reach more people, and, you yeah, you can be a bit more diverse. But then also, you're up against a lot more competition. Yeah. There's a lot more noise. Yeah. And it's much harder, actually... Even though... Yeah, there's a bigger shot window, but you're not displayed prominently at the front. No. You're right at the back. So it's really hard to actually get anyone to even notice.
1: Yeah. Did you ever imagine that 20 years later, the band would be back writing, recording, and preparing to perform again? And why do you think that is? What is it about the band that stood the test of time?
0: Well, I think your role as director is really important. I think if you if you weren't running operations and being so dedicated, I don't know if it would the you know, the impetus would be there. But I, guess, I think I mean you just love hanging out, right? Yeah. Um that's so important. Yeah. Sure there's a ton of bickering that goes on, but it's all good natured.
1: Yeah. It's, it's bullying
0: is what it is. Bullying. Yeah. I mean, yeah everyone bullies consensual bullying the sound's evolved the songwriting's evolved the the techniques have evolved yeah and improved so there's always you know you're not Oasis churning out the same record yeah each time
1: what do you think the future can hold for the band now
0: I think you can sustain a level of writing and recording for sure yeah hopefully gigging yeah um, I would love to see you at a festival, God, yeah. I can imagine you having a future for a long time, probably forever, as long as you can keep playing yeah. around here, yeah. Because people enjoy it so much and connect with it so much, yeah. But I'd, I mean, I'll, I'll be there. You know, I'll be there.
1: Yeah. Um, I mentioned the the old tracks that um, that you were on earlier on. And you've never performed them with the band, but is that something you would do?
0: I mean, maybe "Peace to the World." Yeah, because that has a that has a sentiment that I still think stands stands up today. Yeah, the other ones are a bit stupid. "Peace to the World" could probably be reworked a bit. You know, it could be brought up to date, both in what my performance would be and what now the band would perform it. Because actually, it's all programmed or yeah. sampled isn't it yeah. do think there's any any playing on it by anyone
1: no it's all samples and MIDI and keyboards
0: and sick lyrics and sick lyrics <laughs>
1: <laughs> finally imagine if you could create a supergroup from just local bands from over the years what have we got going on who's doing what
0: well this includes members of CD27 it, it could be definitely.
1: anyone you want as long as they're local
0: but I can't have just the members of c twenty six. No. So a super group.
1: Yeah, who's the front man?
0: I mean, it's got to be Johnny. Okay. As a front man. As a kind of a rock and roll attitude. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Who's next? Drummer? Drummer. I'm going to throw a curveball and say Gaz. Okay. Because this is going to be a tech, right. a tech band. Okay. That's going to be... Switching between styles.
1: Okay, so Gaz, my stepbrother,
0: who I was in Claw Panther and the Crisis Kings with. Also, bands that should get a name check. Crisis Kings, are particularly one of my favours Actually, one of my favourite acts. Oh, cool. How many bands have you been in? I don't know. So I ought to put you as my guitarist, oughtn't I?
1: I'm not fussy, mate.
0: Yeah. I need you doing around the world spins with the guitar right um, so let's go John Lennie on bass okay because we're going full tech yeah um, rhythm more, guitar lead guitar yeah oh so you're going to be oh I think you're going to be rhythm guitar actually yeah Um is going to be lead guitar wow okay backing he, vocals as well he can shred oh, BVs and lead shreds all day okay yeah um, oh well Liam on keys okay in fact, the new stuff you sent me, Liam's got some really sophisticated keyboard parts. Yeah, they're proper which, fruity. Which is a big step up, actually, with your your sound now. Yeah, which it's quite really, yeah, Liam spent a lot
1: of time working on on his parts for these new songs,
0: um, which is great. Well, they sound good. They sound really good. And plus, he he's quite diverse in how what he can do. So yeah, it's a shape shifting. Okay,
1: so you've band. got Gaz on drums. Yeah. Uh myself on rhythm guitar, Ben Rouse on lead guitar and backing vocals, yeah. Johnny rapping, and John Linney on bass, yeah. and Liam Brown on, on keys on keys.
0: And then I'm gonna have Paul Emery on upright piano and further BVs. Wow. His voice with Ben's blend really well. And people that know actually he's a really good pianist. Paul, yeah. But he's, he's gotta be a straight up. Piano, no, no synth or keyboards. Yeah. So that's for the more kind of um, Chaz and Dave style numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the trouble is, I can't, I can't leave people out. Cause what, which one adding now? Matt, needs to be in there. Well, but what, what can Matt bring to it? He can sell merch. Actually, Matt, he, he's, is he's, he good at selling merch? Yeah, he's very, I and mean, he, he's quite a charmer, isn't he?
1: Is he? I don't
0: know. He thinks he is. Actually, when I was touring with him and we were in Cologne, um, for some reason the crowd absolutely loved him and he ended up signing a girl's chest with a Sharpie. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing. So when I think of Matt and Merch, I think of. Okay, get Matt on Merch. Bearing her breast to him and him, uh,
1: him, his shaky wrist. I thought you were going to say his little Shen. (laughs) (laughs) His little Shen and shaky wrist.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, thanks mate. That's wicked. It's been a pleasure. We're out.